Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brothers F Bookcast. Um, I'm your host today, Diego, and today I'm joined by my um, really cool brothers, Andres, Francisco, and Juanpi. What's up, guys? What's up? Hey. How we doing? What are we, uh, what are we, uh, what are we covering today, Diego? Oh, yeah, that, that actually would be a pretty good thing to, uh, to probably mention. We're, today we're covering Fort Esme. With Love and Squalor by J.D. Salinger, who also wrote The Catcher in the Rye. Really? I, you know, thanks for telling me that, Diego. That, that was some really helpful context that I didn't know about that guy, J.D. Salinger. I'd never heard of him before. I mean, okay, but to be fair, it's actually, it was, I mean, I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it mildly surprised me that there were other things written by J.D. Salinger. Because I've literally never heard of anything from him besides Catcher in the Rye. Let's just say I know my company. I thought I had to put that out there just in case. Wait, you're not. You're not. You have never heard of the the Jesus Prayer story? No. No. What is the Jesus Prayer story? I've never read it, but there's a, he wrote a short story about. I believe it's a woman who got obsessed with uh, the the uh, the Jesus Prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Eternal Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. And she just gets obsessed with saying it or praying it over and over and over. That's that's the other like I know literally two works by the dude, and one is Catcher of the Rye, and the other one is the Jesus Prayer Story, which I don't even know what it's actually called. So this guy, um, the JD Salinger, in my la- well, right now because of COVID, all the classrooms are like all mixed up, and right now my Latin class is inside, like. We're usually in English classes, and so inside that classroom, there's a poster that says "The Catcher in the Rye" by J.D. Salinger, and right under it, it says "Extremely Mature Content." Like, um, so I don't know. I've I've just always gotten I don't know maybe a wrong picture about this guy. I don't know. I'm I'm surprised that <laughs> that had to come with a parental warning. Parental warrant. Well, J.D. Salinger, the catch from the ride. There's some, there's some pretty, uh, pretty serious. It, it gets out there for sure. I guess I, I haven't read it in like twelve years or or more. So, <laughs> what's the catch from the ride about? I mean, we we mentioned that last week when we introduced the story, but it's like a kid who. Gosh, I forget most details, but he's like very alienated from the world and. Um, the, my, my best memory of the story is that he spends the whole story sort of monologuing to himself in a dramatic way uh, about how bad things are. And maybe that's doing the story a, a big disservice to say it that way, but that's basically all I remember about it. I mean, what I do remember about those discussions in class, um, so I remember we were talking about it. I, I, I want to say it was Doc Fast's class. I think it was because Adam for ninth grade English. Um, and someone's like, someone in my class just said, you know, honestly, like this is such a, I'm really excited to start this work. I know one of our closest family friends, um, they named their son Holden Clawfield, um, or Caulfield after, after the main character of the Catcher in the Rise. So I guess it's, uh, resonates enough with people that they're willing to name their, uh, firstborn sons after him. That's a little weird. Gonna be honest. If you're gonna name your kid after some yeah. literary figure, why well, pick him? I mean, yeah, he's and then Holden is like that's like a bully me name. 
<laughs> bully me, dude. Yeah, it's, that's terrible, Fran. Yeah, Holden's yeah. gonna be. You know, the bullies are gonna be holding Holden down in the toilet while they give him a, a swishy <laughs> or whatever. Kind of swirlies and wedgies. <laughs> um, I just remember the the name is supposed to be deeply symbolic. I remember this too. I took I, I read this with Doc Stearns, who was another one of our uh, high school English teachers, um, and she was super good. But I remember her speaking at length about how it, it's symbolic for why he's holding on to his child childhood because the name Holden, like hold on, and then Caulfield supposedly refers to the call, which I forget what aspect of uh, neonatal anatomy that is but it's some sort of thing that like you know babies have um so he's holding on to childhood somehow hmm. so unless you're trying to evoke that kind of deep symbolism with your firstborn son i would say maybe avoid it well yeah you're like asking like that sounds like you're also asking for him to like have like an arrested development problem you know like you never you want the kid to never grow up huh <laughs> Yeah, honestly. Or like whatever deep psychological issues Holden Caulfield has in the original story. Like you could pick somebody cool, you know. Well, how about like Aragon or, you know, Gimli's a pretty cool name. Gimli's a pretty cool name. I would respect the hell out of somebody who named it. Lord of the Rings is also a bully me name. No way. You can't bully someone named Gimli. You just, there's no way. I remember. I remember I was, this was when uh, Felipe was still living in, in, in like Western Mass or something. He, uh, I, I visited once and we had dinner at his apartment with Lisa and, 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 and the kid. And uh, we hopped out for a walk and we bumped into his neighbor. And his neighbors were, were Indian American and they had named their son Rohan. And we had a nice cordial conversation and we walked away and Phil was like, Oh, thank God. I was so worried you were going to say, oh, do you like Lord of the Rings? Because they had named their son Rohan. <laughs> I, was, I didn't occur to me, but Rohan is actually just a normal uh, Indian American name or just Indian name. I mean, you try bullying someone named Sau- Sauron or, or Gandalf. It's just it's, it's not going to end well. Yeah, Sauron. <laughs> You're going to name him after the villains? I mean, come on. I mean, anyone like Gandalf, Aragorn. You know, like, you can't go wrong with any of those names. Here's a question. Why are you guys going for all the big Lord of the Rings names? What, what, what ended up happening with, like, Harry, Ronald, Hermione? Voldemort. I'm sorry, but it sounds better than Gimli, Sarah, no, no, and no, Gandalf. No, no, no. It's actually, I don't know. I feel like I could get used to Gimli as a name. I'm yeah. sorry, dude. I would disown your son. It, it's, it's, it, it's not as badass as, um, as you know... The Lord of the Rings names that that actually had a lot of thought and consideration put into them. Maybe I, I don't love literature enough, but I just there's no book that comes to mind that I'm like this is the book that I would name a child after. But if you had to, what would it be? What well, that's a good question. Um, that's, Esme. No, I don't know. Maybe not Esme, though. I do kind of like the sound of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? This is going to be so lame. Um, <laughs> even though even though he's a terrible person, because I want my kids to have Spanish names, uh, the only one that comes to mind right now is, uh, is Eligio from... Uh, from from Ciudad Ciudad. Ciudad. Yes. Yeah. You know... 
you know, friend, that's that's not you know that's that's not a terrible choice because as as you mentioned on that podcast, we all have a little bit of a lichio in us, you know. Um, it, it's kind of a a celebration of our imperfection, and so uh, you get a pass. You know, I actually really connected with that novel, but Alijo is such yeah. a scumbag. Like he's a scumbag. I mean, but I guess um, in the end, he gets his happily ever after, right? <laughs> yes, that's one way to look at it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on to moving on to uh, to uh, 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 subjects that that the other brothers might be familiar with. Um, I mean, I mean, Juanpi, what would you name your kid if you had to name him after a literary character? I don't know, dude. That's like a really hard and deep question. Cause like that you, you know, proposed, but yeah. Yeah. But like, it's like a question, like you got to think about it. Like they're going to be stuck with this name for the rest of their born days, unless if they change it. But then if they change it, they're like no longer my son. Um, what would I name them? Hmm. Hmm. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, that's what, what, what do you think you would like? What do you think you would name? Like, what do you think? I mean, I think we already just discussed that. Fran would choose Eligio. I would choose Sauron. Andrew? Sauron. <laughs> Sauron. Um, Sauron. Accent over the O to make Sauron. it, you know. Sauron. If you said it with enough gusto, people would be like, oh, is that, a, is that a Hispanic name? Yeah, uh, and then you could you could make people feel really bad if they questioned it, too. So, actually... Actually, um, this was named after Sauron Remigio Morales, who was... Uh, Pivotal figure in the Mexican Revolutionary War. <laughs> yeah, that's actually bringing it full circle back to the Rohan anecdote. Really? Well, oh, it, it is, it is, because, I mean, that's an actual name, actual Indian name, but it's, Sauron is a made-up, uh, made-up Spanish yeah. name. So, um, actually, uh, this, this brings me to a really funny thought that I remember having. So, Dad, you know how he gets the economist? No. Yes. Well, he gets the Economist, and every week it comes. And one week it had this really interesting article about how people in Mexico and like that area are naming their kids after like Greek myths and super famous, like like super famous people. Oh, I remember this story. It's hilarious. So this guy's going around asking people their names and like like why their parents chose them. And one of them's called, get this, Yon F. Kennedy, spelled J-O-N-E accent F-E Kennedy. Q-U-E N-E-D-Y or something like that. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's like Yon F. Kennedy. Like the K with a Q-U-E. The F is spelled E-F-E. It's fantastic. It just, there's like a whole bunch of people in this region of Mexico or something it was that take all their names from TV. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually some common phenomenon. I think, I mean, I, I remember I did a service trip my senior year of, of high school and we went to the mountains of, of Peru, uh, Yaoyos, Peru. And the guy sat us down and explained to us that the guy who ran the trip uh, before we went there, just as a heads up that the names we should be prepared to like hear names we hadn't heard before because most of the names were sort of improper transliterations of names they had heard on TV somewhere. So one of the names I remember was Yun Su, uh, 
Y-U-N-Z-U, for example. So all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah, for what what was that supposed to be? I have no idea. Again, like imperfect transliterations. So, and this was Peruvian TV, which I'm not at all acquainted with. So, yeah. Well, this specific article was about the uh, Mexican state of Tabasco, which, if anyone's curious, I figured I'd just mention that they do have a rich history of coming up with, uh, with, uh, with some, some, uh, some very interesting names. But I still think Sauron takes the cake. Sauron with the accent. Yes. Okay, but we're very far afield from the story at this point. So we should probably rein it back in. Uh, I mean, we've spent like five minutes talking about about the other things that J.D. Salinger... Salinger or Salinger? I've always said Salinger. Okay. Salinger has written. Uh, But this story, which I had never read before, I found actually pretty charming in some ways. I mean, terrible in other ways, uh, sort of like hits your heart in a very deep way, but I really enjoyed it by the end. Yeah. And I, I think it's worth, um, setting the stage a little because, uh, this is why it was recommended to me. And, um, after reading it kind of got like, um, you know, it just affirmed what I'd heard of it. And so this was written in 1950, so kind of a few years removed from World War II. And around this time, you know, uh, basically in the United States, what was happening was, you know, the war was really being glorified and like was really just being painted in a very patriotic lens, which, you know, the USA won. So that's fair enough. But um, uh, it was kind of. You know, just like the, the the picture that the media was kind of sending out was just like how glorious an effort and how brave these men were. But there wasn't, um, which was all true and all, all, all you know, all, all great. But um, there wasn't a lot of talking about uh, kind of the other side of war, which I know um, I think we may have mentioned in a, a few previous podcasts before this, but uh, they kind of ignored um the aspects of war that are a lot more scarring and damaging in that everyone that a lot of people experience. Um, and so, uh, this was kind of novel in that sense. So, you know, back in the 1950s, I don't think they had coined the term and, you know, if anyone knows differently, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they had coined the term post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, PTSD. Yeah. I don't think they had. There was no, um, you know, no investigation into that. And so this was kind of uh, legendary in that regard. Yeah, well, they did have some idea that there was psychological damage. And I mean, I think what they called it back then was shell shock. Um, and I th- in the Civil War, they, they definitely had a word for it as well. I'm blanking on what the, what the, what the name was. Um, but there, there's actually a famous scene in the movie Patton, which is a great movie. Um, and which just features General George R. Patton or whatever his middle initial is, uh, a very important general in World War II and the way he interacted with his troops and his people. And it's a great movie. I recommend to watch. But there's a very famous scene from that movie where Patton is in a field hospital and there's a troop there who's struggling with PTSD. He's like shaking. He's completely traumatized. He can't handle it. And Patton has zero sympathy 
and he like slaps the man and gets him out. And this is a true story. This actually happened. He's like, no, you like, he uses very strong language, essentially calling him weak and hapless and slaps him and says, get out of there. And I think for this reason, Patton was actually temporarily removed from his position as general. Um, Because I think at that point, people were still, were already starting to realize that like, this was a really debilitating and real psychological issue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so to that extent, this was, you know, somewhat novel. This was just a side of war that wasn't really covered. And I guess to kind of uh, give a very quick overview of the story, you know, it kind of takes place in three different time periods. First, the most brief kind of what would be present day at that time. Uh, The man has just received a wedding invite uh, for a wedding in England. He's an American guy. So he's living on the other side of the pond, as they call it over there. Don't exactly know why, because, you know, the Atlantic Ocean is actually an ocean. It's not a pond. But the, the English people don't get that anyway. Um, and he, he is unable to attend. Um, I, he has he has this uh, <laughs> he has this um, funny line about his wife who, um, you know, I'm not going to search back and find it, but something about her being, you know, uh, beautifully level headed or something like that. It was it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty interesting line, I, I, I thought. But. Uh, so he can't attend. And then he starts talking about, you know, um, or recounting who this lady actually is, who Esme actually is. So he fast forwards in time, but, um, you know, it's read as if it's, hap- as if, as if it's, as if it's occurring in that moment, um, to when he's in England studying in some special school for, um, you know, for intelligence school, you know, he's just enlisted in the army and, um, he is on his last day there at this special school in England before he's going to join the rest of the troops, and it's pouring rain. And he has spent most of his free time in the school kind of just reading and writing, but he decided that even though it was pouring rain, he wanted to go. He had some hours to kill, and he wanted to go out about in the town. And so uh, he ends up at a church, and there's a child children's choir practice going on. And uh, he kind of takes note of this specific girl who's who's singing her she, apparently she has a pretty angelic voice but she doesn't seem to care about singing at all um or she seems pretty bored at choir practice i shouldn't say not care about singing but uh then he ends up you know the, the practice ends and he ends up at the cafe um and he sees the girl there with her governess and uh her younger brother as well and they basically have you know an interaction there and um, before I continue boring the rest of the audience here, I don't know if anyone wants to chime in there about the interaction, because that's kind of like a big part of the story. Yeah. So he, sorry, I, I blanked out for a second. You've got into the cafe at this point, DH? Yeah. Which I think yeah. is like, you know, the, I think that like that's, that's the part worth pausing in, you know, and, and talking about a bit. For sure. Yeah. I mean, they, so he'd gone to the little concert practice and he saw the really striking young woman he goes to the cafe he sees the same woman with uh, an older lady who he assumes is her governess it's actually her aunt um, and her younger brother who's kind of a a little twerp if you'll pardon the phrase Uh, he's all over the place he's screaming yelling telling stupid jokes and laughing at his own jokes Um, and he you know he looks at the young woman and she smiles at him and he smiles back in not a great way. And uh, and she comes over and they start chatting. 
and they, they get pretty deep for, for initial conversation. They, he includes the line where it's like, this is obviously a girl who did not like small talk and they just dove right in. And she's talking about how her parents both died. And now she's under the care of her aunt, who's the lady in the corner. Um, and how she's always been a cold person. And her father has always said that stuff like that. Uh, a very interesting conversation, kind of surreal in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Francisco, if you're there, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it too. No, I, I'm there. I'm just listening a little more than I've been talking uh, in, in a nice change for me, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there was an interesting device with the story where at the beginning he gets the wedding invitation and he makes a reference to the bride. So I, I've got to think the bride there is Esme herself, many years old. Yeah. Um, I think that's implied. Yeah. Yeah. I think they explicitly say that, that she is the bride. And there's this interesting thing where she also asks him for a, a short story because he's a, an aspiring writer. And, uh, you know, he, he says, well, I'm not very prolific. And then there's this cute moment where she doesn't, she doesn't get that prolific as an adjective that applies to the author, not the story. But, you know, he says he'll do his best to write her a story. So I think this is the story that he wrote her. Yeah. Actually, maybe we can discuss this going forward, but it, is the man supposed to directly be J.D. Salinger? Or is this an elaborate, bigger story that you think he wrote? How, how true, do you, true do you think this is? Like, do you think J.D. Salinger like, met, an, met an Esme and like this is something that he took from his life? I mean, maybe. I don't know. How would we, how would we prove that one way or the other? Yeah, well, maybe not. I guess, like, for me, I could still see the story as true, even if the Isma never existed, right? Like, is he the man who's just traumatized by war and then has, uh, if we cut to the chase, like, some moment that preserved his sanity at the end? Like, are we supposed to see the main character as J.D. Salinger? That's interesting because I, I actually did not think about that at all, but... You know, he did serve in World War II as, you know, I when I was reading through his uh, Wikipedia page, I, I kind of found that out. So he would be, um, you know, very well uh, acquainted with kind of that other side of war. Um, and that's that's very interesting because I didn't think about this being him at all. <laughs> and uh, I just never had put two and two together. Wait, what was your question again? I'm, I've, I've had a long day. I'm blanking on all these things. I didn't have a question. I don't know if Francisco did. Was it Fran? No, I, I don't have a question. I was just I was just saying that I, I think this is the story that he wrote for Esme, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, the story is like it's it's called for Esme, but it is also for Esme. But it's like I mean, yeah, he like, says that he's like, like, the story I wrote you, it, but it's obviously also not a story that it's like it's a story he recounts but it's not like he ma- came up with this story out of nowhere right or maybe um, maybe it's the uh maybe it's the the letter that he writes to her in response i mean we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit but no let's 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 dive ahead actually cuz this is a really pivotal moment in the story is that he uh like it cuts out with him saying goodbyes with Esme is like oh i won't be in town town anymore so i guess this is it um, and it cuts back in at the end of the war, like, I don't know, a couple weeks after the victory in Europe. And this man is just totally traumatized. Like, you know, 
not, even if it wasn't just the way he talked about things, it's like physically the way he describes himself is like he's been smoking cigarettes compulsively and his hands are shaking every time he tries to light it. Um, and his gums, for some reason, are so thinned and and vulnerable that whenever he presses on his gums with his tongues too aggressively, with his tongue too aggressively, he they start bleeding. Uh, so just completely physically and mentally exhausted by this war, and obviously in some sort of trauma. Yeah, and Salinger does an amazing job of that because yeah, for I, sure. As, as he's describing this, like I, I, I get it. Like I can, I can. You, you really start like putting yourself in that place. Like this guy has absolutely no desire to do anything. I think at this point they've already won the war, but even that's not enough to give him motivation to, to want to do anything. Like Salinger just does such a great job of painting, of like portraying this guy's will start. He starts referring to himself that the, the, the not, it could be Salinger. We don't know. But anyway, the, the narrator of the story starts referring to himself instead of, as an I in the first person as Sergeant X, you know, and then he has this friend who's all energetic, who, you know, has a little more uh, energy and wants to go out and do things. And he just completely dismisses his friend. And as his friend's in there, he, he has to reach out and grab a bucket and throws up in it. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I just thought he did a fantastic job of, you know, portraying the misery that was going on. No, totally. Now, I think I think there's two things I want to say. Real, first, real quick, is that I I think I loved the aggressive contrast between the idyllic nice time in England earlier on. You know, the he goes to his choir practice. He spends all day like writing letters with the other nerds in his in his special class. You know, he has a nice day, meets this nice young woman, they have a great conversation, and then boom, end of the war. He is just total mental wreck um and i think the the contrast is pretty impactful i think it's super well done um and i think it it is a the, the foil works very nicely to get us to think very carefully about the nature of trauma um, i think you know he's with this very peppy younger guy who's who's talking about his uh his wife to be back home in the states and being aggressively happy about everything. It's like, come on, we got to go drive up. We got to wake up at 5 a.m. and go somewhere. But I think they're both traumatized, uh, undergoing their own forms of PTSD, I guess, from this war. Um, and we can peel apart, apart exactly what's going on there. Um, I mean, we already talked about the physical symptoms that the main character is undergoing, that his hands are shaking, that he's mentally totally out of whack. There's a moment where he feels like his mind is quote unquote teetering or some word like that. And the only way he can get it back is by putting his palms on either side of his head and squeezing as hard as possible. So like I said, traumatized. And the other guy, uh, the one who's a little too peppy for, 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 for his liking, that guy talks at length about how he, in the middle of the war, was under so much stress that he just, pointed his gun at a cat somewhere and shot it on the spot. And there's kind of a funny, funny digression where he talks about how his uh, girlfriend back home is a psychology major in college and uh, told all her class about how he shot the cat. Um, and she explains to her, her lover overseas and more that he was so stressed out by war that he went temporarily insane. 
um, which I'm not sure I buy that. But I, I found that commentary uh, brilliant in that if um, Salinger was trying to make fun of psychologists, which I don't know if, if it was his intent or just kind of like maybe not psychologists as much as um, what I what I read it as was really like the people back home who were just so detached from the war and didn't really know what was going on and the hardships that were happening. Hey everyone, this is Swep, and I just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to The Rose Zeph on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure to follow us there too. See you next time on The Brothers Zeph.